0: So, as you may have heard earlier, we are in the series called Anabaptist Academy, home of the mighty Mennonites. <laughs> well, actually, when I was making this on the internet, I saw someone took the Notre Dame fighting Irish and made a fighting Amish logo. It's a guy with the straw hat just putting his dukes up in that Jack Johnson. Fighting style, but I felt like that might be a bit bleeding to accounts. It's a little bit of a stretch. So uh, much like, you know, one of your freshman lecture classes in college, we're going to start this off with a boring series of slides. (laughs) And speaking of freshmen, actually, before we start, I just want to say congratulations to Aaron, who will be starting next week. Is that correct? Tuesday. Well, even better. Yeah. Tuesday. Wow. There you go. All right. He'll be taking his tuba talents up north. So sometimes in theology, if we're going to answer this question of who is Jesus, we should go about it. I think theologically it's best to leave some words untranslated. Now, of course, our Bible is translated to almost about every language on the face of the earth from the original Greek and Hebrew, depending on what testament you're talking about, but sometimes weightier theological matters from distinguished theologians. might leave them in the original Latin or in the original German if it's a a 20th century scholar. And today we're gonna discuss a crucial one, I believe, that derives from Swahili, the language of Kenya. And that word is kujenga. Can everyone say Kujenga? And it means to build. So we have a map of Kenya there, if you can uh, see it. They speak both English and Swahili as the official languages. There are a few other uh, tribal languages in different areas. So has anyone familiar with Leslie Scott? Well, she's she may not be popular in theological circles, but I consider her to be a towering figure for introducing the Western world to the concept of Kujenga. Much like other foreign ideas that are introduced to a Western audience, she used a shortened version of Kujenga to make it a household phrase that you might be familiar with. It. If we can go to the next slide, you might just know it as Jenga. See, that's that's me in the middle, losing my mind, excited about playing Jenga. As you can see, I was the coolest guy in my fraternity. So yes, Leslie Scott is the game designer, toy maker, however you wanna phrase it, who created the game Jenga. She is ethnically English, but was born in Kenya and was raised speaking both English and Swahili. And after she moved with her family to Ghana, her family had a game that they would play based on these rectangular wooden pieces that they had cut at a local sawmill. And she later packaged the product, sold it to a few toy manufacturers and distributors like Hasbro in the United States. And the rest is board game history. But even though it was created in Ghana by an English woman and sold all over the world, she still chose to honor the place of her birth by naming it with the Swahili word kujenga, to build. At this point, we should discuss a few Swahili words that are derivatives from the word kujenga. And these are "jengo." can everyone say "jengo," Which means building, it's a noun. Then the next one is "mjengali." Can anyone say Mjangali? Which is a noun that means builder. And the next one is jengwa. Can we say that? Jengua. It's a passive verb, which means be built. And I'm sure that many of you are familiar with the game Jenga due to its popularity in the States. But just in case, I think we should use these words to allow us to appreciate it not only as a game, but a group activity. And we should stress that here because we're not talking about solitaire. See, Jenga cannot be properly played by oneself. It relies on a group of two, three or more. So in appreciating the game, the first word Jenga is a noun that means, like I said, building. Jenga, the game is about constructing a Django as a group. The games are built around one block that is repeated several times. The length of this block is measured three times of its width. And those identical blocks are built into layers. And each layer is built on the foundation of the block that replicates. And in replicating the foundation Occurs on each level of those blocks that are being built up. Now, there may be some moving, shuffling around, and rearranging, but the idea is to keep the growth of the building going. Back to that second word, Mjengali, the noun that means builder. Each group member in Jenga participates as an Mjengali. And all the subsequent blocks are built the same way. For support the test comes when a piece is removed and the holes in the building challenge if the structure itself can stand winners and losers are decided based on when the building falls down but there's no judgment at losing at Jenga like it's you know some type of moral lapse or so You lose when you don't properly assess how your changes are affected by the existing holes that were made before you and led to weaknesses over time. And you win by being the last builder to keep the building going. You win by understanding the building's current strength based on its history. And that third word, jangwa, it's a passive verb remember to be built. The goal of Jenga is for a strong structure to Jenga. And understanding this word is important because it reveals the whole point of the group activity. The aim is not to compete or to make another person lose per se, but for the group's construction to keep growing. There's gonna be losses, there's going to be failures but afterwards in the next round we build back together on the same foundation of that initial block and if you notice there there's an underlying assumption here that the blocks aren't going to build themselves you know they're they're passive and they rely on an outside actor to animate their growth they can fail all by themselves and fall down all by themselves but they need outside help and the reason i'm talking about this is because i want to make sure that if aaron has a roommate that just is obsessed with jenga he's not an outsider in that in that suite there in that dorm is anyone familiar with mythbusters anybody ever see that all right anybody watch mythbusters jr i know we let the kids out but it's not gonna be creepy if you watch mythbusters jr that's fine (laughs) okay i asked this because they had an entire episode based on what they call the impossible Jenga move so they did a few wacky experiments to see if they could take the bottom Jenga blocks away without the rest of the structure collapsing and by the end of about 10 minutes they were able to do it, it involved like a bicycle and like a bungee cord and it was it was all wacky I'll show you the video later if you want And they asked with this initial hypothesis, because this is a wacky science type show, can you remove the entire foundation and leave the building standing? And that's the same question I would like to ask the church this morning. If you're familiar with the apostle Paul, the writer of today's scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter three, verses 9 through 17, then you know that he's popular in theological circles and a towering figure for the Gentile world to a concept that I believe is much like Kujenga. Yes, Paul the tent maker, he was ethnically Jewish, but was born in the Hellenized world and was raised speaking both Hebrew and Greek. And as a missionary, he moved around the Mediterranean world a lot and developed The thought that God was piecing together diverse people like a wooden puzzle pieces that would themselves form the image of something greater when they were unified. And even though Jesus the Messiah had ascended physically into the heavens, Paul believed that his disciples were forming what he called the body of Christ here on earth. So eventually, the words of Paul did reach the ends of the earth. As I said, the Old Testament and the New Testament have been translated into much of the language groups of the world, including Swahili. So at the Swahili version of 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9, the end of it ends off, Ninyi jengo lake, or the English CEB version that we use here, you are God's building. But I rather my version, which says you are God's Jenga. I don't know if I could popularize that if anybody's in with a local Christian bookstore, maybe it can, you know, cut you in on the hustle. So you are God's Jenga. There's a correlation between Jenga and Jesus, living out our faith in Jesus as a group activity because Christianity is not solitary. But again, the question begs, due to Mythbusters Jr., can you remove the entire foundation and leave the building standing? If the foundation gives structure and direction to what the entire building is, what is so foundational to what we are as Christians that removing it would cause what we've built to collapse. And here's another thing. I believe that we can use Jenga blocks to find the answer to this one. You guys ready with me? Anybody wondering what was in this target bag? This sermon is all about product placement. Welcome to my unboxing video. All right. See if it falls right when I set it up. All right, can everybody see? Because if I move it, it's gonna fall. (laughs) Let's try it again. I think I win, I think I win. Yes, I did it alone, I failed. The sermon's a failure. So going back, remember that the first word that we learned was Django. It is a noun that means building. Well, faith in Jesus is about constructing a django as a group. Our faith is built on one block. Jesus, the cornerstone, which the builders rejected. So let me try this one. I'm up to round two. So his life story was measured over the width of four blocks, or four books, I should say, the Gospels, and that block is repeated several times in a process that we call discipleship. Those identical blocks are built and layered into churches and movements over the years, and each layer is built on the foundation of Christ, the cornerstone replicating the foundation on each level. You guys with me? Nothing up my sleeve. (laughs) No tricks here. The idea of Jesus' disciples identifying with him by being identical to him is evident by the choice of words that Paul used for them as a group, the body of Christ. Now there may be some moving some shuffling around and rearranging. But the idea is to keep building the body of Christ going. So let's get into the scripture here. If we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, at verse 9, there's a prequel, a few verses that have gone on before this, where the discussion is the different church member's allegiance to either Paul or Apollos. You guys remember those verses? It says that one watered, one planet one watered, but god gave the increase so paul is dispelling the notion that they are competitors these two founding figures in the corinthian church in fact he says he says here that we are filled remember the one planet one watered. next he says you are god's building Now, both Paul and Apollos, they weren't of the original 12 apostles, but they laid down a foundation amongst the Gentiles based on the tradition that was passed down to them. And there's even an episode in the Acts where Paul's students, Priscilla and Aquila, they initially filled some of the holes in Apollos' theology when it was missing part of that foundation remember he only initially preached the baptism of john next paul makes allusions to stories of building projects in prior scripture did you know that scripture is filled with stories of building projects for example the second half of exodus the part they leave out of the, the movies all, where god's spirit dwelt. later scripture discusses king david's aspiration to build god a temple stone and of gold and his son Solomon's fulfillment of that dream. Now they of course were not contractors but worked through professional builders and Jesus himself later drew on this tradition and used the parabolic language to describe his teaching as being a house founded upon a rock that could weather a storm because of that strong foundation. Paul later goes on, he says, I laid a foundation like a wise master builder, according to God's grace that was given me. But someone else is building on top of it. Each person needs to pay attention to the way they build on it. So when Paul says this, he includes the relationship between the generations of Christianity, because we've been around for quite a long time now right i'd say uh what 20 centuries it's pretty good run there so he foresees some aspect of this from the beginning the apostles and the apostolic generation the apostolic apostolic fathers to the early church down to the, today the first through the 21st century each era builds upon another's work See, Paul, he thoroughly believed that this salvific structure that was being erected and built over the ages was anchored in Jesus. Maybe he was referencing Jesus' parable about the house founded on the rock when he said that no one can lay any other foundation besides the one that is already laid, which is Jesus Christ, our teacher. So when he says that he and the apostles, or rather he and Apollos, who are separate from the 12 earlier apostles, two men who had never met Jesus while while he was alive. When he said that those two figures were laying down the foundation that is Jesus Christ, it had to be a reference to something that Jesus as a person had left behind, a tool for them to use. And we know what was handed down to the 12 disciples and the apostles, and that they spread to the church, that story that they committed, eventually to text, the gospel. And each successive generation is ultimately founded upon Christ's story. His story is the foundation that was laid by the apostles. The gospel that we preach is based on the gospels that he lived. Now back to Jenga. we still here with Jenga. The apostles laid the foundation. You with me? That was built up by the early church. And in an effort to reinforce what the church the denominations, the Catholics and the Orthodox church, codified, their theological beliefs into creeds. Now we as Anabaptists, we're a confessional church and not per se a creedal one. However, we agree with the points that serve as a sort of building code for future generations of the church. And we take those shared beliefs from the foundation and create an action plan for daily building. Let's give you an example. They believed in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. We say amen. They believed he descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into the heavens and we say amen. They believe he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. And we agree to this as well. And we believe that that last one, just what Jesus said in Matthew 25, when that in the end times, the King will separate the crowd into sheep and goats those that are saved to them the king says that truly I tell you whatever you did for one of these the least of these my brothers and sisters of mine you did for me so we make a plan to build up the hungry the thirsty the stranger the naked the sick and the prisoner because that's what Jesus did and Jesus is our foundation now let's go on because i think that we can continue with our jenga blocks to find Another answer, what do you guys think about that? If we go back to that second point with the next slide, the point is Mjangali. I have a typo there, but just go with Mjangali, which means builder. Likewise, each group member exercises faith in Jesus by participating as an Mjangali, a builder. And all the subsequent parts of the body of Christ are built the same way for support. Because the church is not just a property, but a people. They may not do the same things or all look alike, but they all look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And the test comes over time When the pieces are removed and the holes in the building challenge if the structure can stand. That's when the game gets interesting. So as you can see, as we shift things around over time, there's more holes in the structure. So winners and losers are decided based on when the building fails, but it must be seen in the corporate sense of loss and gain. But there is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk after the, not after the flesh, but after the spirit. There is no judgment in losing as if it was a moral failure. We lose when we don't properly assess how our changes affect the existing holds. And weaknesses that have built up over time. And we win by being the last builder to keep the building growing. We win by understanding our gifts to give where we are in the church. Let's go back to the scripture. The other half of Paul's understanding of the apostles being foundational church figures was that. Others would come throughout the years and contribute their gifts, their thoughts, and work on top of his. So above the firm foundation of the rock of Jesus, future disciples add more floors to this building. We all add to the building that God is building. Like Paul and Apollos, we are builders and God's very own co-workers. Paul put it this way. So whether someone builds on top of the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, grass, or hay, each one's work will be clearly shown. Now look, some additions are humble and some are fanciful, but they all must be functional. Each group member's contribution will be put on display for everyone to see but eventually we will see which ones are temporary and which ones are eternal see paul seems to be fine with others contributing to christ's creative construction as long as they follow the building code just like a good fire marshal he believed that the ultimate inspection would come through in a fiery trial one day. Paul says this, the day will make it clear because it will be revealed with fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. So in times of trouble, division or persecution, the ornamental additions that we make to the church, whether they be wood or silver or gold, they will all but burn and melt away, leaving only the stone rock foundation of Jesus. Because time will test our additions and the test will be a refining fire. You see, every level of the building does not necessarily leave something that is built to last. Some things will be gained and some things We'll be lost, but we shouldn't think of it as a uh, type of heaven or hell judgment. Jesus is not saying that you messed up in the church, you're going to hell for a bad idea. This is a discussion about the contributions of insiders into the kingdom of God and an assessment of best practices. First Corinthians puts it this way. If anyone's work survives, they'll get a reward. And if anyone's work goes up in flames, they'll lose it. However, they themselves will be saved as if they had gone through a fire. The survivor's work will win, the loser's work will be lost, but all will be saved from judgment like the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace. Now back to Jenga. The time of testing, trials, and refining. Oh, it came to the body of Christ when someone perceived some holes in its foundation. Now, you students of church history know that the original large split in Christianity happened between the Orthodox in the East and the Catholics in the West, the great schism. But an even more revolutionary rift occurred in the Western church itself. Of course, I'm talking about the Protestant Reformation between the Protestants and Catholics. Now, the reformers understood themselves as bringing the church back to the foundational document of the Bible. Sometimes it's referred to as sola scriptura, but it is only one of the five solas that describe their theology. For example, believed in sola scriptura, scripture or the Bible alone. They believed in sola fide, faith alone, sola gratia, grace alone. They believed in sola Christus, Christ alone, and they believed in sola Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. And we agree in scripture as our primary basis with the clarification on that foundation. We believe what Jesus said of himself in John five thirty nine. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. See, we believe that the truest word of God is Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. Now, you may not believe this, but we can continue to use our Jenga blocks here to find one final answer. Remember the third word? It is jengwa to be built. Similarly, the goal of faith in Jesus is for a strong structure to jengua. Understanding this theological truth is important because it reveals the whole point of our group activity here. The aim is not to compete with others. It's not to lust for power. It is not to aim for leadership just for the sake of glory. It is not to jockey for position but for Christ's creation to grow. There will be losses, there will be failures, there will be schisms, there will be reforms. But afterwards, we build back together on the same foundation. And if you notice, there's an underlying assumption that the blocks of the body of Christ, see, they're not gonna build themselves alone. Our Reformed brothers can share with us that to a certain extent, we are passive in this process and our salvation relies on an outside force to animate us to upward growth. Paul in Corinthians, his metaphor here slightly switches next. It expands to remind us that we are not only builders, but we are building up ourselves. And as we are working on the outside of the building, God is building something up on the inside of us. When I was a kid, the old Baptist used to say that there's something on the inside working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. But Paul puts it this way. Don't you know that you are God's temple and God's spirit lives in you? You see, that building that we have been building all along, it's God's temple, it's God's house, it's his dwelling place. This is where Paul's listener would remember a little bit about religious history and biblical history. And they know about the destruction of the original temple of Jerusalem. And depending on the date of this letter, they might possibly even know about the second destruction of the temple. They would be aware of God's using these destructions as a judgment against his own people. But Paul interjects, and he says, if someone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person because God's temple is holy. You see, God will not stand for the destruction of this temple this time because his new temple would not be metal and stone, but flesh and blood god's new temple will never be destroyed again because god's new temple is you now here i should probably um introduce another word that you may not be familiar with and that is uh, this word uh, it's called y'all have you guys ever i know you're the southern dialect and standard english so this, this, this y'all word, Y apostrophe A-L-L, you see, you use it to unequivocally delineate a difference between you in the singular sense and you in the plural sense without having to waste time to say you all. So when the apostle Paul says, God's temple is holy, which is what you are, when Paul says you, he means Y'all, that's a southern Baptist translation. There, y'all are God's building, y'all are God's temple, y'all are holy. It may be grammatically wrong, but it is theologically correct because Christianity is Jenga, not solitaire. Now, I know what you're thinking about this time, and you might be saying. Yeah, but uh, can you show me in uh, Jenga pieces? And I accept that challenge. I both can and I will. Many of you already know here that early Anabaptists were initially the students of the reformers. And where Catholics answered the Reformation with the Counter-Reformation, the Anabaptists responded with the Radical Reformation. And the Anabaptist approach and action was as living as disciples of Christ. And that means living as Jesus lived and thinking as Jesus thought. They took this piece from the foundation. They looked at it and analyzed it. And they duplicated it on every day of their life that they were graced with duplicate. So that makes us ask the question, what did Jesus believe? If he is supposed to be our teacher here, if he is supposed to be the example that we duplicate and we rebuild up the foundation of the body of Christ. So it may surprise you, but when we zero in on the Gospels and Jesus's stellar sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, most of his beliefs. Were about you. Or should I say y'all? It says that he believed, blessed are the poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And he goes on, because he believed, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. But he's not done, and he closes by saying that he believed that blessed are the peacemakers. Are you here with me, Mennonites and pacifists? For they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Mennoniteusa.org. Puts the belief this way in part of their statement about Jesus. We recognize Jesus Christ as the head of the church, his body. As members of his body, we are in Christ, and Christ dwells in us. Empowered by this intimate relationship with Christ, the church continues his ministry of mercy, justice, and peace in a broken world. So let's bring this thing to a close. This sermon actually doesn't conclude with Jenga. I know you guys were waiting on it to fall, but you know, the old man's got one up on you. But it does conclude in Kenya. In 2009, I found myself here, which is the Ilkareen Hope Center in a sparsely populated area, a rural area working with locals who were part of the Maasai tribe. And the closest town was Nara, which is a dusty, almost looks like an old cowboy town from those Western movies, if all the cowboys were Kenyans and the women had their heads shaved and they had these ornate beaded necklaces and they fought lions. But you know, cowboy movie nonetheless. 40,000 people was the largest nearby town in the Maasai Mara region. And it was over two and a half hours away From Nairobi which is in a which is a large developed city of four million people in the capital of Kenya and I was there on a mission trip with my home church when I lived in Minnesota and I did my pronounce my o's like that Minnesota when I lived in Minnesota and it was paid for by a couple that I went to bible study with when the husband was unable to make the trip himself It was grace to me. So I found myself in the chapel, which is what you see here, for that church and the classroom that is attached to the back. Because those structures that you see here had already been built. So what were we doing on this mission trip? Well, I found myself inside painting a few pictures of biblical illustrations in the chapel. Because these soft hands have never done an honest day's labor in his work in my life. I can type you up a spreadsheet. I can paint you a picture. That's all you get out of me. But then the doctor who had been organizing that trip for 19 years, who normally worked as a director of Mayo Clinic's emergency room, he found himself in the classroom pulling teeth and fitting people for glasses who came from the countryside. There's a multitude of them. Oh, and we also brought one of the pastors from the church with us. It was a big group. But the pastor, Dan Farm, was an amazing preacher. And actually, I'll give you the story about his background. When he was going through seminary, he was a bouncer for Prince because he's from Minnesota. And everybody in Minnesota has a Prince story. But this years later, but they already had a Messiah pastor who would give them sermons. So they didn't need a preacher per se. So Dan found himself. Digging ditches and posting fence holes. Sort of like what Paul says of him and Apollos. One watered, one planted, but God gave the increase. But in our case, it was one paid, one painted, one pulled teeth, one posted poles in the ground. But God gave the increase. Because in a way, even though Pastor Dan was not preaching, he was still sharing the gospel. And even though we were not laying those blocks on top of each other to build the building, we were still building the church with a capital C. And even though Dr. Bukov was not in the emergency room, he was still healing the multitudes. Why is that? Because as the Mennonites say, We are empowered by this intimate relationship with Christ. And the church continues his ministry of mercy, justice, and peace in a broken world. See, we were all sharing the gospel because the body of Christ is built brick by brick, belief by belief, and mercy by mercy. I don't know about you, but it gives me three takeaway questions that I have to ask myself in a personal inventory. Because if we are the body of Christ and God's building, what part am I helping to develop? If we are the body of Christ and God's building, what kind of builder am I? And lastly, if we are the body of Christ and God's building, what can we expect to be built into from working together? Because as much as I firmly believe these things about Jesus Christ and who he is, I stand daily challenged by what Jesus believed the body of Christ can be built up to be.